You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, uh, as we continue our journey together uh, through... Acts, and some of you go, well, 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 wait a minute, Pastor, I thought you said we were finished last week. Well, we were with that part of Acts, and we looked at the various characteristics of the church and things that should be universal to every church. So I hope that you are encouraged uh, by that season. And yet, uh, even this week, as I begin to uh, prepare and ask the Lord where we should be in God's Word, I could not escape the book of Acts uh, primarily for one particular reason, and that is because the as we look around us, uh, it just seems like resistance to the church and resistance to the gospel is just simply growing more and more. Um, American kind of the American Christianity culture seems to be bleaker and bleaker. I think sometimes it's easy for us to look around. And uh, to look around us and to see that all of these things are kind of going haywire and to wonder what life is going to even look like moving forward. And what I want us to see again and again in the book of Acts is the resilience of the New Testament church. That no matter how great the persecution or the hardship grew, grew for the church, they continue to remain resilient in the power of the Holy Spirit And based on our current circumstances, I believe that this is a message that we need to hear today. I don't know about you, but I am sick and tired of hearing about (laughs) COVID-19. I mean, you know, I'm I'm just sick of hearing about it. Um, It's here. I know that, you know, that we've got to talk about it. and We've got to deal with some of the issues that surround it. And no doubt these things are serious. And yet, you know, the, the church has faced lots of things over the course of its history and we faced plague before. We faced persecution before. And this is not anything new. In fact, if you've been following with us in the book of Ecclesiastes over the last uh, several or a couple of weeks uh, in our prayer times at noon on our Facebook Live, then you'll know that Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. And so as we face this, this is something that we should have been prepared for before it ever happened. And yet I, I think that we still need encouragement. I'm thankful for God's word This morning, the mission goes on. It has not changed and it has not stopped for 2000 years plus. And so I want to encourage you and I I believe God's word would encourage us this morning to not quit in spite of the circumstances, not to quit because we still have a mission to do. And in fact, I believe with all of my heart that God is, in fact, working in spite of the circumstances. In fact, let me take that one step further. 
I believe that the circumstances that we are in because God is sovereign are actually a part of God's plan for his completion of his gospel mission. And so I want to take uh, uh, several weeks and what I want to do is us to look at various places in Acts of resistance from the world and its culture to the, the mission of the gospel. And what we're going to do is look at various places and then try to fill in the gaps along the way so that you get a big picture of all of the book of Acts. Now, this this first text that we're going to look at together is rather lengthy at about 31 verses. But it only begins to tell the story of a man who became a major part, if not the major part, of the New Testament church, and it spread not just in Jerusalem, but to Judea, Samaria, even to Rome and the ends of the earth. So let me just remind you, leading up to Acts chapter 9, where we are before we read together. Acts chapter 7, we looked at, was the murder of Stephen, one of the greatest leaders in the church at the time. One of seven men who were serving the church faithfully, And he was stoned to death. And the Bible records that account. And as we read last week, getting into chapter 8, what you'll see is that Saul is a man who was a Pharisee leader in Jerusalem. And he actually approved of his execution. Saul was responsible, the Bible tells us, for the persecution, imprisonment, and even death of perhaps thousands of Christians in the day. In fact, Acts 8 calls it a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And it did not end there. We will see in Acts chapter 9 that Saul had every intent in taking that persecution beyond the walls of Jerusalem. He was the one at the helm of this persecution. The Bible tells us that he was ravaging the church, as we read last week, and entering house after house. And what was he doing? Dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. Now, keep in mind that this is the man that we're reading about. Don't get that out of your head. Like, don't move. Those of you that have been in church forever, don't move from Saul to Paul very quickly. What Acts chapter 9 gives us is the story of what happened to the man who was murdering Christians. So if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter nine, beginning in verse one together, the Bible says, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, meaning any who are Christians, men or women, He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city And you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight. 
and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, "Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to you, to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name." But the Lord said to him, "Go." For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he went for for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not the man who, who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And verse 26 says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Notice verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and, and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we look to this passage this morning, that we would see what you have done in this man's life and that, God, we would be instructed as your church, perhaps in how we are to relate to the culture around us and what it means to be on mission for you. I pray that if there is someone here in this room or listening online that is perhaps like Saul of Tarsus, 
A person who does not know Christ as Lord and Savior and who is living in rebellion against Christ. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. That, Lord, you would interrupt their lives and stop them in their tracks. Bring them to their face before you and call them to repentance and faith in Jesus. And I pray that they would respond in faith toward Christ today. God, be with us and teach us now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. And so last week we read about Saul's threats and his actions against the church. We we read about it in the first part of chapter 9 that he was continuing to breathe threats and murder against the disciples. And we got a picture of that uh, toward the end of uh, or toward the beginning of chapter 1. Rather, the beginning of chapter 8. At the end of our passage last week, we saw this amazing thing that even though Paul was, Saul was persecuting the church, that ultimately the church was scattered and those who were scattered went on preaching the word. And I want to just say to you again this morning that the world can do what it wants to do, but the church is going to be continued to scatter, is going to continue to be scattered with the gospel and the gospel is going to continue to advance no matter what the world throws against it. Amen. That's good news this morning. And so what happened? Well, Philip goes to Samaria. Just follow with me for a few moments through chapter eight. Philip goes to Samaria and he preaches the word. And he is preaching to all of these different people. They hear the word. They're healed. There's joy in the city. As they get in further into the city, this man by the name of Simon, he's a magician. He was claimed to be a follower of God. The people followed him and, and in a sense worshipped him. And yet he was leading them astray. And as all of these people are hearing about Jesus, they realize the error of their ways. They realize their sin and they turn to Christ. And then you would think that this this man named Simon would turn to Christ. And it seems at first that he does, says that he even believed, left his magic and followed Jesus. And yet it's shown to be a false conversion whenever he wants to pay the disciples to get the same power to put the Holy Spirit in people. He's just looking out for himself. And so this false conversion happens. So Philip leaves there, uh, leaves for this um, place in the Gaza Strip. Don't know exactly where this is, but this Ethiopian eunuch is who he is going to see. And he finds the most amazing thing. This eunuch is actually reading from the Bible and not just from the Bible. He's reading from the book of Isaiah and he's reading not only from the book of Isaiah, but Isaiah chapter 53 that describes the suffering servant. And what do we find? That's the story of Jesus. And the eunuch says, hey, will you tell me, Philip, who this story is about? I mean, could you not have a better introduction or invitation to share the gospel message? And so he does. So the gospel is spreading and spreading and spreading in spite of and in reality under the hand of God, in spite of all of the persecution that is happening around them. And so they were scattered as if he wants to remind us. Luke wants to remind us when we get over to chapter 11, just give you a preview here. He says in verse 19, now those who were scattered because of the persecution specifically, he picks that back up because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, 
speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says that the Lord kept on adding a great number of those who believed. So this was not, what we read in Acts chapter 8, was not a brutal end to the story. It was a miraculous multiplication of the story. Where now a gospel that was centered in Jerusalem and exclusive to Jerusalem to one people is now going from one people to every tribe and every tongue. Why? Because the church experienced persecution. By the way, this seems to be the pattern of church history, doesn't it? The gospel spreads the most, the fastest. The church is the brightest light that finds itself in the greatest of persecution. And so when we get to this man by the name of Saul in chapter 9, he is still breathing threats against the church. Threats and murder. And he uses this term, disciples of the Lord. These are people who've given their lives to Jesus. They've been born again. They're following Christ. So he has just gone to the high priest at the beginning of chapter 9. And he asked for the letters from the synagogues at Damascus. Now, what is all that all about? Well, he wants to know, obviously, who from these synagogues, people who were members of the various synagogues, who did those synagogues write into the high priest home base to tell that they had defected from Judaism and gone to Christianity? I want a list of names, high priest. You give me the list of names of all of these people who are now followers of Jesus, and I'm going to go after them, and I'm going to bind them, I'm going to put them in ropes and shackles, and I'm going to carry them back to Jerusalem to be imprisoned. This was his goal. And so he sets out for Damascus. No doubt he would not have stopped there. This would only have been the beginning of what Saul would have done to wreak havoc across the land, not just in Jerusalem. But he was stopped there. Amen? He gets on this road and he's headed toward Damascus with full steam, every intent of his heart to destroy all the followers of Jesus. And it's stopped when a bright light appears from heaven. And he sees this light. And the moment he sees it, it's as if this flash goes off and he's blinded and in complete darkness immediately. He's rebuked for his actions by none other, none other than Jesus Christ Himself. And Jesus tells him, you go on to Damascus, but when you get there, you're going to hear what I tell you to do. So get this picture. The man that was resisting God, that was rebelling against God, the very one who wanted to kill the followers of Jesus, He didn't like the mission. He didn't want the gospel to spread. He hated his people so much that he's going to imprison them and even kill them. That's the man that God rescues out of sin. That's the man that God rescues and not only rescues, don't miss this. He puts that man on mission for Christ. It's the very one. What an ironic twist to this story. Out of all of these followers who are so faithful, they're not the ones whom God ultimately chose for this task. Rather, 
He chose Saul. Jesus appeared to Ananias, the Bible tells us in verse 15. He says that this man will be a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so through the ministry of Ananias, Saul was healed from his blindness. He was baptized and he goes back to Jerusalem. By the way, this time not to destroy Christians and not to go to the high priest to report, but rather he goes back to the church to join them in the mission. And the Bible says in verse 31 that the church throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. What a twist. Like, you could not have written that ending. (laughs) I never would have guessed that the very man who is persecuting the church is the very man who now was not only a Christian himself, but was preaching Jesus everywhere. He's calling people to repent and believe the Gospel. He's speaking the Gospel Himself, the one that He hated so much. And now that itself was going to be a catalyst, just like his persecution of the church before had been the catalyst through which the church would spread. Now his preaching of the gospel was going to be the catalyst through which uh, the gospel was going to be spread. Because here's where you realize that it wasn't about Saul at all. It wasn't about the church at all, that God was ultimately in this task using whom he will and certainly using the church to get his gospel to the ends of the earth. God was in charge of this thing. And he is the one who would later come to be known as Paul, this man named Saul, and would write most of the rest of the New Testament. You see, a man who once hated the church and her Christ was now a man who loved the church and her Christ. And here is the main takeaway. Despite stubborn Resistance. And I mean the most stubborn of resistances. God is rescuing sinners and spreading the gospel through them. This is, this is an amazing miracle that God would overcome the resistance of Saul and that He would rescue him and spread the gospel through him. This is unthinkable. I mean, think about this. It's an amazing miracle personally and corporately for us as the church. It means this personally. That no matter what sin you find yourself in, no matter what place in life, no matter what you've done, no matter how long you've rebelled against God, no matter how far you've fallen, no matter how much in the mud that you are, No matter how unfixable, how broken you think that your life is, God can in any person's life redeem the rebellious. God can take a person who spent their entire life in hatred for God and His people and His mission, and in a moment, they can be born again and their lives changed forever and go on living their life for Jesus Christ and ushering people into His kingdom through the preaching of the Gospel. This is an amazing thing. That means that no matter who you are, anyone can be saved. And anyone can be used by God. I'm thankful for that in my life. Thankful that God can use 
me as often as I have rebelled against him. I'm going to come back to that because there is a corporate implication for us as the church. And I want you to see it. I hope that you see it this morning. We are far too quick to move from Saul to Paul. Not that his his name change necessarily had anything to do with his mission. I think that he probably went by that name as well. And it just says Saul called Paul. We don't have any other information about that. But we know him as the Apostle Paul. He's not there yet. What message does this have for us for 21st century America? How do we go from the first century Jerusalem to 21st century America? Well, here was Saul, the one who is threatening the church, who had just killed one of their beloved leaders, the guy who was ravaging the church, ravaging the church. Now, don't miss this. That guy walks into their worship in Jerusalem. What would you do? I tell you what we would probably do in the South, where we love the Second Amendment. (laughs) That's not what happened. They were fearful that he walks into the church. Now, put yourself, you see this in verse 26, you can read it there. It comes attempting to join the disciples. So here here's the church. Their spiritual freedom threatened. Their lives threatened. They could not worship freely. They were being shut down and dragged out of their homes. Their live stream was being shut down if you will. They were being penalized for what they believed. That's starting to sound familiar to you? Just just slightly familiar? If they were to think with our modern mind, what they would have thought probably is we should overthrow Saul because Saul represents the leadership of the government that is oppressing us and we don't have spiritual freedom under this government so we should rise up, fight for our rights, protest, and we should do all of these things. I'm not saying that there's not place for that. But Saul comes into their midst and they are absolutely terrified. He walks up into the middle of worship. The one man who was ravaging them has now been redeemed. And the craziest of plot twists, here's what God does. God actually, instead of leading a rebellion to overthrow the government, here's what God does. He redeems the very one who's persecuting them. What if... I know we're on camera. What if God wants to redeem Nancy Pelosi? What if God wants to save Joe Biden? What if the gateway to a restoration of spiritual freedom in America, if God so wills, is the salvation of many in our governing authorities rather than the overthrow? I don't know the answer to that. Here's what I do know. That despite stubborn resistance, God has continued for 2,000 years to rescue sinners and spread the gospel through them. You and I 
were resisting God. You and I were stubborn and God called us out of our rebellion and saved us in order that he might use us for his glory. Certainly, he could do the same thing in our country today. So why is this so encouraging corporately? Because no resistance, not even those who are in power now, can stop the spread of the gospel. And God may even intend to save the resistance for the sake of his glory. That excites me, y'all. I don't know about you. But that excites me. When I saw that rise up off this page, I go, absolutely, I want Donald Trump to come to faith in Christ. Absolutely, I want Nancy Pelosi to come to faith in Christ. Like, that would be awesome. And save a lot of trouble, wouldn't it? Beyond that, it would save her soul, his soul, from a burning hell. So what do we need to see this morning about the gospel and how it's spreading to The Apostle Paul, the man named Saul, and through him. Three things. Number one, you need to realize that Jesus confronts sinners in their sin. Jesus confronts sinners in their sin. Acts chapter 9, Saul is still breathing threats. Murder against the disciples of the Lord And he went into the high priest and he asked them for the letters. And it's in this, verse number four, verse number three. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice. The voice said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, Saul was the type of man who thought zealously. He was serving God. Remember that Saul was a Pharisee. He knew the law. He had kept the law. He had made others keep the law. Like he lived in Jerusalem. And this was the place where people loved Jehovah God and served Jehovah God, right? So Saul in killing these Christians, how dare they claim that he is the Messiah? That's blasphemy. And he goes to these people to imprison them and Jesus says Saul stop right where you are and he says why are you persecuting not Christians notice what he says why are you persecuting me his actions were against the disciples but more than that they were ultimately against Christ who is in fact God And what God does to humanity and what he did for you, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning and what he continues to do time after time is God confronts people in their sin. Right at the heart of it, he doesn't glide past it. He doesn't turn and look away and goes, you know what? I love you. Just come over here and we'll we'll fix this life together. No, he deals with the sin. If you want proof that God confronts sin, you need only to look to the cross. To think that somehow God can ignore sin is to ignore the reality of what happened at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because God took the Son, listen to me, the Son whom He loves and brutally put Him to death. The Bible uses the word, He slayed His Son. 
He is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world of the world. And it was God's will that his son die for our sin. You think God is serious about sin? He did so much as to confront it in the person of His perfect Son, Jesus. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. God serious about sin. And when He comes to Saul, He says, You're persecuting me, Saul. So Jesus confronts us this morning, does He not? Your sin may not be the persecution of Christians and the murder of Christians. But every single one of us are sinners. And in some way in your life, you've rebelled against a holy God and you right now don't have to do a lot of digging to find it. If you're honest. Whatever that sin is in your heart, in your life, those sins in your heart and life, maybe you're living a life of sin. Here's the reality. Jesus sees it and He knows it and He absolutely confronts you in it. There's accountability before God to our government leaders like Saul here this morning that Jesus confronts your sin that does not go unnoticed or unpunished. And to the church, God is confronting us and others around us in our sin right now. And we have the responsibility to be an Ananias And to go to those who are in sin and to call them to repentance and faith. That's exactly what Jesus calls us to do. And it leads us to the second thing we see. Jesus calls sinners to repent and believe the gospel. Jesus calls sinners to repent and to believe the gospel. Verse 5, here's what Paul asks. Saul asks. And he said, who are you, Lord? Isn't that the question of Christianity? Who is Jesus? Who do you believe Jesus to be? It's the same question that he asked Peter. Who do men say that I am? And then he asked this question, Who do you say I am, Peter? And of course, Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, Christianity begins with a confession of who Jesus is. But Jesus tells him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then he says, Rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. I I think there was more to that conversation than just that. That that's the beginning and the end. The implication of what we are to see. And the reason that I believe that is you go on to verse 17 when Ananias comes in and he begins to confront Saul. What happens is he receives his sight and the Holy Spirit. Immediately he is baptized and he takes food and was strengthened. We know that during the interim time while Paul was Saul was there for three days, that he was praying, he was spending time with the Lord. You see, Paul had come to the place where he confessed Jesus as Lord. That's when Ananias, when he comes and says, brother Saul, he's calling him a brother in Christ. You see, the gospel begins with the fundamental question, who is Jesus? We must believe that Jesus is both Savior and Lord. We must believe that it is His cross and His resurrection alone through which we gain forgiveness of sins and through which we are restored into a right relationship with God. It cannot happen any other way. Hear me. 
The farther we go down this slide as a country, the more we hear this post-modern garbage that says that there are multiple ways to God and we all end up in the same place eventually. But you need to know this morning that there is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. He alone is the one in whom we find forgiveness of sins. And to confess Him as Savior is, yes, part of it. But to confess Him as Lord means He can only be Savior. He's the only one who is Savior. He's Master. We submit our lives to Him. We give our lives to Jesus and trust and submit submit to His Lordship. That's what it means whenever He was told, go into the city and I will tell you what you are to do. He was given a command. As if Jesus himself in physical form, though he wasn't seen at all by the ones around Saul. As if Jesus himself says, I'm going to Damascus, you come and follow me. And then I'll show you what to do. You see, this is the call of gospel on the call of the gospel on our life. We must turn away from our sin. The Bible calls that repentance. And we must turn to Faith in Christ. And faith is more than mere belief. It is casting ourselves entirely in total surrender upon the mercy of Jesus. The grace of God found at the cross and the cross alone. And so we must repent. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you must repent and believe the gospel. Listening online, must repent and believe the gospel. To our government, government leaders, you must repent and believe the gospel. And to the church, we must call people to repent and believe the gospel. Which leads to number three. And we'll close. Number three. Jesus not only confronts sinners in their sin and calls them to repent and believe the gospel. He then commissions the saved to proclaim the gospel. He commissions the saved. Verse 10 says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. We don't hear much from him. But we know he saw a vision. We know that Jesus showed him exactly what was happening in the life of Saul there in the quiet, in the dark, in his moments of prayer as God had given him a vision that Ananias was coming. You know, it's interesting, there's reports all throughout the world and in foreign missions and local missions where God has prepared the hearts of the people to receive the ones that he's sending to go there. (laughs) It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. As if as if they knew that missionaries were coming. Jesus is sovereign. And so he says, rise and go to the street called straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. He's seen this vision. Ananias argues with the Lord. He says, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. He's scared out of his mind. Wouldn't you be? I mean, the church, when they walk, when this man walks into Jerusalem, is scared to death. And I, I want to say to you this morning, it's a frightening thing to go to a place where you might have to give your life for the sake of the gospel. But Jesus has commanded He's commanded us to go. And so he says, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And he's going to suffer just like you're suffering, but you are to go. And the command is to us, is it not? 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And therefore, lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. This is the same command on our lives. If it's true that, listen, if it's true that nothing could stop a move of the gospel, that nothing can stop the gospel from going forth and spreading throughout our land and every land on the planet, then why aren't we obedient to proclaim the gospel message? This is mind blowing to me. We live in the freest nation in all of the world. We can complain about our freedoms all day long, but we are still in the freest nation in all of the world. We can proclaim the gospel to our neighbor. We can worship freely on Sundays. We can leave this country and proclaim the gospel on foreign soil and come back without fear of them keeping us out of the country. And yet, and yet, the gospel seems to be spreading Faster everywhere else. My concern for the church is that we really don't believe that there is no move of God that can be stopped. Or maybe, maybe it's not that we don't believe, but maybe that it's, we're far too comfortable. I believe for the lack of repeating something that you're tired of hearing, that COVID-19 was an opportunity for the church to be the gospel put to feet. And so we must be. Verse 31 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and we could go on Africa, Asia, North America, South America, the gospel spread was being built up because people were obedient to Christ and nothing could stop a move of God. I think that we tend to believe that the more government clamps down on us, the less opportunity we'll have for the gospel. But what if? What if God's answer to this whole problem is to not overthrow the resistance, but to save it, to rescue sinners from their sin? And He's calling us to be His mouthpiece. Would you bow your heads all across the room this morning? Simple call on our lives is to make disciples. And though it's simple, we often miss it. It just simply means that when you leave this place today and you step out of those doors, that you are walking into a life on mission for Christ. You're living sent the more you're scattered by whatever it is that scatters you in your life. For most of us, it's nothing more than our own schedules that are scattering us. But you have the opportunity today. Listen to me. You have the opportunity today to speak truth into someone's life. And someone, God is already preparing their heart to hear the message that He's placed on yours. And is it, is it the good news And the power of God and the salvation to all who believe. Is it? And may it be known.
May it be known because there was someone who is willing to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of you here this morning are like Saul. You really don't know Jesus. You've never had a moment where you came face to face with your sin and the reality that you must repent and believe the gospel in order to be saved. I want to call you to do that today. Maybe you're here in this room. Maybe you're online. Either way. This morning you can trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's what is required of you. That you repent of your sin. That you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again. And that this very day you say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus right now. I'm going to follow Him with my life. And so in just a few moments when Stephanie begins to play, I want to invite you, if that's you, to come down this aisle and say to me, Pastor, today I want to follow Jesus. Just that simple. Today I want to follow Jesus. And we want to help you with those details this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed, can we invite you to stand this morning? Stephanie's going to begin to play and I'm going to pray. And just as soon as I finish praying, we want to invite you to come. Come and follow Jesus today. Be His mouthpiece today. Lord, we pray that You would confront us today in our sin. That we'd surrender our lives fully to You. And that You would be honored as Your Gospel is spread and multiplied. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar is open. You come this morning. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.